This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is The Way We Live Now. Today is day 71, since we've started dressing only from the waist up for Zoom calls, and day 27 of this podcast. Some of us are sheltering at home alone, and others are home with family or close friends with whom we get along. But there's a whole other world during the pandemic of people who are sharing their homes with someone they find difficult. Today's guest is writer Alyssa Allman, author of the recent memoir, Motherland. Alyssa is sharing her home with her 84-year-old mother, Rita. Alyssa, thanks so much for joining me to talk about the way we live now. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to talk to you. Describe for me where you are right now in as much detail as possible. Where are you sitting? What are you looking at? Because of the circumstances in which I am living right now, I'm actually sitting um, in my car, (laughs) (laughs) in my driveway, pulled up as close to the house as I can get, and looking at um, the expanse of Uh, the front of my house and the garden that is beginning to come up and the Adirondack chairs on the porch and uh, everything appears to be normal except for the fact that I'm talking to you from my car. And why are you talking to me from your car? I'm talking to you from from my car because um, my mother is um, presently living with us. And um, privacy um, is essentially um, non-existent, uh, even if I close my office door. Mm-hmm. Some days are some days are better than other days. This would not be one of the good ones. I am um, often taking meetings in my car, um, having therapy sessions in my car, <laughs> and uh, recording podcasts in my car. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I can I can just picture all of that. When did the enormity 
of the pandemic hit home for you? And then when did you decide to bring your elderly mother, Rita, from her apartment in New York City to live with you and your wife, Susan? I have a lot of friends who are in the medical community. Um, I have a friend who is um, an emergency room physician at both Bellevue and NYU um, in New York. Um, I have uh, a family member who is a pediatric intensive care nurse and who has been sort of pulled into the, you know, the the uh, the COVID, the infectious diseases unit at Cornell. I, you know, I followed their stories very closely and listened to them um, and listened to their their recommendations very closely. And I, I think that at, you know, at a certain point when, um, you know, when I, I, my mom was still living in the city and I was attempting to send her food and not being able to do so. And uh, my mother is nothing if, if not the, she is the opposite of compliant. She's like a walking Petri dish. And so we made the decision that um, for her safety, and for the safety of the people around her, that it would be necessary to bring her here. And that was um, March 17th. Mm. And by here, you mean uh, your home in sort of exurban Connecticut. That's right. And it was a complicated decision physically because uh, the house is not a huge house. Complicated because we have not lived under the same roof together uh, since Ronald Reagan was in office. We have a very complex layered uh, relationship. You know, it was really a matter of trying to keep her as safe as possible. Was Rita immediately willing to um, to come home with you, or did she resist? Um, she resisted probably, I would say, for about two weeks. And, you know, she, she is a dyed-in-the-wool New Yorker um, who, you know, lives and breathes New York. And she uh, she just did not want to leave her apartment. And um, so the answer was constantly no. You know, she wouldn't do it. She'd have enough food. She'd find a way. Um, and then finally one Sunday night, um, we got a call from her saying, how soon can you come get me? Mm. Um, and we jumped into the car um, the next day and, and drove down and picked her up um, just as her building was sort of going into lockdown. And brought her up here, you know, not really knowing how our time here with, together was going to unfold. What precipitated her saying, "Will you come get me right away?" Was it was it her building going into lockdown? I think it was the the fact that her building was going into lockdown. I think that she herself um, had tried to have certain things delivered um, and and couldn't do it. There was talk about um, not going out um, in her building without a mask, and you know, not going into into public spaces without a mask. And and I, I, you know, she, which of course she didn't have. And I think that she finally realized that it was going to be potentially dangerous for her as an 84 year old person who was fairly frail to stay in the city. Would you describe Rita for us? For those of us who have not read Motherland, in which you describe her so eloquently and movingly and with a lot of compassion and also, you know, with a lot of edge. She is a um, former television singer, 
slash model, gorgeous, tempestuous, hyper-heterosexual, glam queen, over-the-top, um, ready-for-my-close-up Mr. DeMille kind of person. <laughs> that's, you know, that's that's who she is. She, you know, lives and breathes, um, you know, fashion and, and uh, makeup and and movies probably, you know, weighs about 100 pounds soaking wet at this point in time. We are as, you know, diametrically opposed uh, in our outlook and in our look and and who we are um, as any mother and daughter could possibly be. So what's your relationship with her been like? I mean, I think it would help listeners if you describe yourself a little bit in opposition to Rita. Yeah, well, I'm probably, um, how do I, it's always, it's hard to, to describe oneself, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but to my mother's glam queen, over-the-top, spelt, um, body dysmorphic uh, kind of person, I'm um, probably, you know, the, her, her worst, her worst nightmare. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a food writer. I'm a chubby food writer. Um, I'm a lesbian. I've been uh, married to the same woman, you know, for 20 years. We have very, very different ways of approaching the world, mm-hmm. um, around us. And, uh, and that's always complicated things since, you know, I, I, um, I was asked not long ago, you know, when did your relationship with your mother change at what point and it was when I was finally able to say the word no to her, which, you know, I, I'm not a mother myself, um, but I think that um, anyone who spent time around young children knows that there's a point at which uh, when they say no, when they finally, you know, utter that word, that's going to be the point at which things begin to shift. And that was a real, you know, that was a real problem for her and a real certainly a real problem for me. Um, and, and ours has always been a deeply complicated um, relationship that uh, has had at its core both um, a lot of uh, love and a lot of enmity at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, two sides to the same coin sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what has quarantine life with Rita been like since March 17th, when, when you brought her home? It's run the gamut. <laughs> you know, what's that old Dorothy Parker? You know, it runs the gamut from A to B. And when she first arrived here, um, you know, my wife and I spent a lot of time trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to do our work? Um, you know, our house is not a big house. We don't have a lot of spaces to go and close our door, hence my sitting in the car talking to you right now. So we had to figure out ways that we were going to be able to keep her occupied. Um, And my mother suffers from textbook um, diagnosed narcissistic personality disorder. So she has to be the center of attention all the time. Um, And that poses some difficulty when when you're trying to work and trying to write and trying to have business calls. And the first thing we did was we got ourselves into a routine, um, you know, up in the morning, coffee, she has her latte, we walk the dog, we go to our opposite sides of the house, we do our work, and we usually set her up 
in March, it was still pretty, pretty chilly here. So we would set her up in front of a series of old movies that basically played on a loop. And that's how she spent a lot of her days while we were working. And at the end of the day, you know, it was dinner time and we all sat down to, to dinner together. Um, and that was, you know, that was in the early days of, of the quarantine. Um, and of course, as you, you know, as everyone I think has experienced, um, things started to change a little bit. I mean, I don't think that human beings are meant to spend 24 hours a day together. Mm-hmm. That's been hard. That's been complicated. And her, her illness has, um, has made it very hard for her because we, we really can't give her the attention that she requires and, uh, demands, um, you know, every day, 24 seven. So there's been, you know, there have been, um, explosions that have been unfortunate, um, but predictable. Um, and I think that for me, you know, gifts come in very strange ways for me. It, this has been a very, very difficult, uh, complicated time. I certainly never expected that I was going to be living again with, you know, with with the person who was at the core of my trauma um, on the other side of my bedroom wall in the guest room. Um, that was certainly the last thing I expected. At the same time, the proximity um, in which we're living now has allowed me to truly see the illnesses that she suffers from as um, illnesses and not moral failings. Mm. That has been um, a profound gift. That's so interesting. I, I, that makes so much sense to me. And also not a failure of your relationship, right? Like it's... No, yeah. no. Um, and I, you know, I, I have spent most of my life as the um, adult child of any parent with NPD um would probably agree that, you know, we spend our lives just assuming that we're less than, we're not good enough, we're not this, we're not that. And that's sort of drummed into us over and over. If we're not able to reflect um, our our NPD parents back to themselves, then we're the, we're the failures. Mm-hmm. And so, and certainly you know, there, there were issues of disappointment for my mother. You know, I was, I was not, you know, what my mother was expecting, certainly not, you know, as a, as a daughter. And so I, I've spent a lot of, you know, years walking around believing that I was less than, and I was, and that it was, that it was me. And in fact, it, it was not me and it was not really even her. It's Mm. her illness. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I said, I mean, I, I, there's a, there's a difference between, um, a moral failing and, um, and an illness. Um, the last time I lived in such close proximity to her, I was 25, 26, um, and, you know, in the eighties and, um, it was, it was a very difficult, um, very frustrating. And I had been told by my physician at that time you need to move out or you're going to have a stroke by the time you're 25. And so I left and I, you know, I fled basically to save myself. And there's a, you know, a line in the book where I say, you know, it was a, a choice. It was my mother's life or my own. Now in hindsight, um, I see that that was perhaps 
not necessarily the case. I was not able at that point to see that it was not a moral failing, that it was an illness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And that's been, you know, that is a gift that I did not expect to find, uh, you know, out of this quarantine. I mean, it's just been an amazing sort of, I don't want to say discovery, but it's been, um, it's been an amazing revelation. Yeah. Well, it's like you have a a, a different lens. You have the lens of you with the toolbox that you have now and all the work that you've done on yourself, being able to see in a clearer way than you possibly could have when you were half the age you are now. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Alyssa, what are you doing to take care of yourself? And and then my final question for you is going to be, what's bringing you hope? I'm not a really great natural self-care person, um, but I... I've been spending a lot of time outside. Um, I've been doing a lot of hiking. Um, I've been discovering the very sort of quiet, unpopulated hiking trails that are very close to my home. Um, And I leave my cell phone at home and I take my Apple Watch off. My wife and I, you know, we put the collar on the dog and off we go. And and that's what we do every day um, at at lunchtime. It's her lunchtime, um, and that's our that's our break. And mm-hmm. it's usually like a you know three or so mile hike. I stopped at a certain point. You know, at the beginning of this, I st- I felt like I had I had stopped being an observer of nature, um, even as a, someone who is a gardener um, and a pretty avid gardener. I stopped looking and this has afforded me time to, to look around and to look at where I live and um, be as fully present with Susan as I can be. Um, It's the only time that we have alone together because my mother is too frail to walk with us at this point. You know, it's been a bomb. It's been, it's been um, very healing and I look forward to it every day. Um, so that's what I've been trying to do. Of course, I'm, you know, I've been cooking as much as I can. That's a little bit complicated because my mother is not a big fan of food in any form. And that's the thing that, you know, has traditionally given me comfort is the act of cooking and the mm-hmm. act of feeding people. Mm-hmm. I think that what's giving me, what's giving me hope is it feels to me like a, um, sort of an enforced, uh, psychic slowdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hearing that from a lot of people from a lot of different, um, a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different situations. Um, you know, we tend to certainly in a, in the suburbs where, you know, where I live, uh, people come home from work and they go into their houses and they close the door and that's it. You don't really see them. And we have finally recognized that. And we have finally uh, recognized the fact that human interaction and um, companionship and communion is necessary. Is is it's like air and water. It's as necessary for us. It's as necessary for us as as breathing. Mm. That has given me a tremendous amount of hope. And that's beautiful, Alyssa. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this today. I think it's something that many people. It's kind of like one of the hidden aspects of the way that people are living during this time of quarantine, that that sometimes we're living in 
you know, in a difficult relationship, in a difficult circumstance that we could never have anticipated. And I think that your words are going to help a lot of people. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It was great to speak with you. You too. Thanks for listening to The Way We Live Now. Tell us the way you're living now. We want to hear. Call us on, you might want to get a pen for this, 909-713-8995. That's 909-713-8995. And record your story, and we might just use it on the pod. Also, you can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash the way we live now pod. We are creating a community here and we would love for you to join us. You can find me on Instagram at Danny Ryder. The Way We Live Now is a production of iHeartRadio. It's produced by Lowell Berlanti. Beth Ann Macaluso is executive producer. Special thanks to Tristan McNeil and Tyler Klang. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. (sighs) Take a pause from your to-do list with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.